Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Jim, for the songs. Appreciate those. And I want to thank uh, Brother Mike over here, Mike Bellano, for filling in two weeks ago. Really appreciated your lesson. Last in a series of lessons which we have spaced out that have to do with our invitation that's on the website. And once again, I encourage you to go there and read that because it is uh, our invitation to those in the world, to those out there suffering under the hand of the devil. All are welcome. We had that lesson. Nobody's perfect. We had that lesson. Today, anything is possible. And I felt a particular leading of God in this lesson. And uh, as it unfolds, I'm, I'm encouraging you, as we're always to be, to be disciple makers. Because there's somebody in your life that needs this lesson. There is. And if they're not here today to hear it, you know, we can go to the website. There's the podcast. You can download it. We can get them a CD. And so I'm encouraging you to use this lesson to reach somebody. The primary focus of this lesson is twofold. I don't know if you can say it's primary focus when it's twofold. But first of all, for those who are carrying a weight of guilt for what they've done or perhaps failed to do in the past, thinking you can never be forgiven and never come under the grace of God, whether they've never obeyed the gospel, they've never been a Christian, or whether they're a wandering Christian and they've gone astray. This lesson is for those people. And secondly, this lesson is for those who have loved ones in those situations. And you've tried everything for years and come up empty. And you're ready to give up. You're ready to quit and say they're lost, it's done, it's over. This lesson's for you. Jimmy led us in a couple of those songs, and I hope you listened to the words, and as you sang the words, you believed the words you sang. God is able to deliver. He is more powerful than Satan. As Don brought out in his lesson here two weeks ago, he brought out he's 44, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And we have to start believing it. And stop walking around with long faces and start getting into the fight, challenging people, talking to people, and saying, God can help you. Luke 1, 34 to 37. There's a couple passages in the scripture that talks about with all things, God is, with God all things are possible. But I thought this might be appropriate due to the season. Everybody's thinking about Jesus. Here, uh, 
the angel Gabriel has come to Mary. He's talking about what's going to happen with her. And he said, you know, uh, you'll be with child, you'll be called the son of the most high, and so forth and so on. And she's having her doubts. As it says in 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How can it be? How can I have a child? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She was barren at, the, at this time. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is arguably the greatest miracle in the Bible, the greatest miracle of all time, that God will become flesh. This is a miracle. It's incredible. And it's that upon which all of history, all of the creation, all the purposes of God is based upon the idea that he would become flesh at one point to save his creation. All of history before him pointed to that and we're all looking back at it. That significant moment when he became one of us. Now, if you believe that this happened, and that this Jesus of Nazareth is really the Son of God, you need to listen to this lesson and open your heart. Because that's the greatest miracle. I'm, I'm arguing that. You can talk to me later and say you find a greater one. But if God can do that, if God can become one of his creation, there is not anything that God can't do. We have to believe it. You know who we're going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about that old Pharisee, Saul. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Because Saul fits right into this whole story. Okay? And you're going to see, you know... Uh, We're challenged to read the scripture, and we should be in the scripture, reading the scripture, know the scripture, but not just about, okay, what does God say to do, but about the people that are in there. We were studying about David in our morning Bible class and learning a lot from him, through him. But the story of Saul fits right into what we're talking about this morning. And I think you'll see this as it unfolds. Saul the Pharisee, I'm calling him Saul the Pharisee because he was a Pharisee. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, as we're going to see there, was at the top of his class as a Jew, was always bringing his A game. He had all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted and had all his ducks in a row, as we would say. He had everything going for him. In fact, he admits this. Philippians 3, 2, 
little warning, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. That's the good lead in. No confidence in the flesh. It's not about me, my abilities, my intelligence, my background. It's about God. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. You want to dispute Paul, the apostle? He says, I have more reason than anybody else to have confidence in my flesh and who I was. Circumcised the eighth day. I mean, his parents, you know, in, we read and we understand that in Jesus' day, a lot of people had become very lax about keeping the law. The Jews, they, they had become very lax. Paul's parents had not. The eighth day, that was the law. Bring, bring the young man, bring the boy on the eighth day for circumcision. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, who he, the tribe he was from, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisee means a separated one. He has separated himself. That whole group did just primarily focus on keeping the law and keeping themselves away from all that was evil and unclean out there in the world. Nothing was going to sway them or draw them away from God. So much so that Jesus rebuked them, you know, because they were so separated and they even made their own rules. He was a Pharisee. Zealous, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Persecuted the way, said in another place. They believed they were wrong. They were heretics. They were anti-God. Persecuted those people. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Nobody could point to Saul and say, look, you don't do this. You don't keep this. You failed to do this. Couldn't be found. He was strict. Very religious. This was Saul. Now, if we think about such a person today, uh, somebody that was set, as we would say. They had a, everything going for them. You know, they got a good position, whether we're talking about in a religion or even in a company. They have a future in a certain organization. They got a pedigree. You know, their grandfather founded the organization, and their father is now uh, the CEO, and then they're in it now, and they got an education. They got a blinding zeal for this work. They got it all going for them. This was Saul. And you might know some folks like that. And the question is, would it be possible for this kind of a person to walk away from all of that and do something else? What do you think? What would cause them to do that? When you got it all, as we would say, they got it all. Could anything cause them to walk away from that? 
If you had asked Saul before Jesus met him on the road, wonder what he would have said. I, I, I think he would have said, I got it. This is it. Nothing's going to change me. In fact, knowing that he had persecuted the church and understood the way, I, I feel certain to say he had heard the message already, hadn't he? He had heard the message already about Jesus. I think that was probably one reason he persecuted the church, because he's thinking that this, this can't be God. That was one of the stumbling blocks for the Jews and the Greeks. God in the flesh? How can that be? Never happened. So what would it take? Let's go to Acts 22. This is Saul's defense here to the Jews when he was in the temple. He had been identified as being in the temple by some Jews he had met before. They thought he had brought some Gentiles into the temple precincts. They were in an uproar about this whole thing, and they were starting to beat on him, and he had to be rescued by the Roman cohort there. And He's been given leave by the commander to speak to the mob, if you will, about who he was. And this is his defense. And we're going to listen to this now. He's, what happened to this man who had it all and thought he had it all and was, you know, in the upper circles of the Judaic religion. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a well-respected rabbi of the day. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you, as you all are today. Kind of a quick encapsulation of what we just said. So he's identifying, I'm a Jew. And I had it all gone for me. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. He had audience with the high priest. He was in the upper circles. Some have even suggested Paul might have been a member of the Sanhedrin. I've never been able to confirm that, but he was, he was in the high circles. From them, from them, the high priest, the council, I received letters to the brethren, started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He's, he's honest. This was me, and this is what I did. You know, obviously that's what we all have to do before God, be honest. But he's laying it out there. And it's, when you think about it, it's terrible what he did. He persecuted to the death. He was holding the, the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death. He's putting men and women in prison for their faith. Terrible stuff. 
He's on the road to Damascus now with those letters. I'm going to get some more. I'm going to throw some more in jail. But it happened that I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime. A very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's noonday, and it's a bright light. He's blinded by this light, by God. And as I was reading this, I'm thinking, you know, this is the light of truth shining into Saul's life. The light of Christ. He is the truth, right? The way, the truth, and the life. And that's what happens here. Saul's, you know... He hears the voice. He says, why are you persecuting me? And, you know, Jesus here is identifying with his people. For Jesus is in heaven at this point, right? So he's identifying with his people, the church. But he's saying, you're persecuting me. And we are the body of Christ, aren't we? That's what the church is, the body of Christ on the earth. And so Jesus has not abandoned us, his body, and he is with us, and he feels when we are hurting and tested and tempted and persecuted, he's with us. Verse 8. And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. That, uh, that must have so surprised Saul to hear that this was Jesus of Nazareth. That uh, to me, he would have thought that would have been the least likely voice to come out of that light. You know, maybe God himself, maybe an angel, you know, I'm the angel Gabriel or whatever. One of the prophets from of old, but Jesus of Nazareth? He certainly wasn't expecting that, I don't think. The one whom he thought was an imposter, a rebel, a heretic. As we would say in today's vernacular, it was a gotcha moment. What? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, he was led into the city. He doesn't recount it here. It's recounted in Acts 9, which we're going to go to in a minute. But he was blinded, had to be led into the city, and uh, he's there for three days fasting and praying. In fact, let's turn to Acts 9 right now and just read that, Acts 9 and 9. He was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Uh, so you can check that out in Acts 9. There's some more details there. We're not going to go there. So he's been blinded. He's been visited by Jesus. He's heard the voice. He's there in the city of Damascus. And then someone comes to him. 
A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear an utterance from his mouth. Ananias was a disciple of Jesus. He has a Jewish background, as you can see here. We read in another place when Ananias was called to do this that he was kind of uh, fearful because he had heard, you know, Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, and this is a dangerous man, and you sure you want me to go see him? And the Lord said, yes, I do. He's a chosen vessel of mine. He's chosen. And so Ananias went. And I see here the idea, you know, it says, Saul, receive your sight, and at that very time I looked upon him. Here's again the, the spiritual awakening of a person who finally sees and understands who Jesus is. You know, the scales drop from the eyes. The, the, the doubt drops from the heart. The barriers in the, in the heart and mind just drop, and there's Jesus. And you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? We all need that moment. And as I said at the outset, you might be the one to bring that moment to somebody. You know, Jesus isn't going to appear like he did to Saul. But you might be the one to appear in somebody's life with that message. With that message of Christ. And say, you know, the Lord loves you. And he has things planned for you if you'll just listen to his voice. We've got to summon the courage and the love to do that. Verse 15, for you will be a witness for him to all men and of what, of what you have seen and heard. And Paul was indeed chosen as a special apostle to the Gentiles, but he also went to Jews as he went about on his missionary journeys went into the synagogues, proclaimed Christ Jesus, resurrected from the dead, Savior of all. Some listened, some did not. But he did what God wanted him to do. And because of Saul, who later was known as Paul, many people found Christ. Many people came to obey the gospel. So I made a note here, it was a complete turnaround. He, he changed from a persecutor to a proclaimer. A total 180 degree turnaround. From being a, a vicious man who was persecuting the church to being a member of the church who defended the Christ, loved the church, served the church. It was a total change. Verse 16, so Ananias says to Saul, why do you delay? In other words, you know what's what now. You've heard the Lord. 
He's calling you to a special mission. Uh, you heard his voice. You, you've, you've experienced this uh, miracle. Of you got, were blind, and now you see again here three days later. So you know he's real. Why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's what you need to do, Saul. You need to get rid of those sins. You need to become one of his. You need to be born again so you might serve him. So the question is put to Saul, and basically this is an offer of forgiveness is what it is. Despite everything this man had done, and he's already admitted it here in two places we've read, Jesus is offering forgiveness to him and really saying, you can be forgiven for all of that. Even persecuting people to the death, you can be forgiven for. I remember, uh, I don't know whether I read it in a book or heard it in somebody's sermon. Uh, we know later on when Paul, right away, he, you know, he took it to heart. Right away he started to preach and nobody wanted to go hear him because they couldn't believe he had changed already. But someone had speculated and said, you know, I wonder what happened when, when Saul went back at some point to Jerusalem or some other place where he had been instrumental in persecuting somebody's husband or wife and he came into that congregation. Never think about that. Here's a man who had my husband put to death. Now he's up there preaching. You talk about forgiveness. You talk about being focused on what matters, not on pettiness, not on this world. Wow. Think about that. Christ's blood can remove his sins. He can remove all sins. Every sin. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've left out. No matter all the many times you failed, you knew you should have done something and you did not. You just bring it to Christ. He'll forgive you. True repentance you know you did wrong. You want to do better. You want to serve. But he will forgive. With God, anything is possible. Go to 1 Timothy 1. Saul reflects. You know, Saul didn't... And we talk about... Uh, God doesn't remember our sins, and I think that really means he doesn't remember them against us. In Christ, they are forgiven, so he doesn't hold them against us. But Saul, Paul hadn't forgotten what he had done. In fact, it continued to influence him in his life and in his preaching because he used himself as an example, which we can do as well. 
Like we had the lesson, nobody's perfect, and we were sitting down with some people, and they start to talk about this and that, and well, you go to church all the time, but we need to be willing to confess, you know, at one time I did this. They need to hear that. Not that we just think we're so high and mighty, and we got it all together. But it was because of Jesus that I'm here today doing what I'm doing, not because of me. What's Paul say in 1 Timothy 1.12? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service. A faithful man or a truthful man, an honest man. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. There, there again, he hasn't forgotten what he did. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. I made a note of there. More, there's two words to remember out of this. If you don't remember any other words out of this reading, more than abundant. The grace of God is more than abundant to forgive sin. It is trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Other translations render that differently. I'm the greatest. He's accepting that. I'm the worst one. Yet, here it is, for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost, foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. There's the other thought. His perfect patience. Well, God has been patient with me at times through my life. And I think we most, all of us would have to admit he's been patient with us, and he's patient with us right now. It's perfect patience. As an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So here's the two points about Saul, Paul. First of all, he had everything going for him, didn't he? He was at the top of his game, and he would have gone far in Judaism. But because of Christ, he gave it up. And so there is the first thought. To think that one of your friends or family members is so caught up in the world or whatever it is that they cannot give it up that, that's the wrong thinking. That's to believe a lie. Because with God, all things are possible. And the second one with Saul is, he was the chiefest sinner, wasn't he? He was the worst. He called himself the worst and all those terrible things he did. And yet what? He was forgiven in Christ Jesus. With God, all things are possible. 
So you see why Saul is such a great example for this lesson. That with God, all things are possible. When people meet Jesus Christ, come face to face with him, they can be changed. They can give up anything and everything in order to follow him. We've got to believe that. And no matter what they've done, what they think they've done, they keep holding that up as a barrier and say, oh, I can never be forgiven for that, you know, right there. Not true. You don't understand the blood of Christ. You don't understand the grace of God. You don't understand how much he loves you and wants you to serve him. That's the story of the cross. With God, anything is possible. Maybe you're a person sitting under the sound of my voice who you've got everything going for you. You think you got it made. And in fact, you think the world has such a strong hold on you that it won't let go. But that's not true. Christ Jesus can free you from anything and bring you into his kingdom and give you a new life. Maybe you're ready to obey the gospel this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking you've done terrible things. Or just a lot of things. A lot of bad things. And you're thinking, God will never forgive me. God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't want me. All lies of the devil. All not true. It's a story of the cross. Jesus holds out his arms, he holds out his hands to all of us and says, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden with guilt and burdens of life, and I will give you rest. If you're ready to come to Christ this morning, we're here to assist you. If you're a Christian, you need prayer, you need to rededicate your life, you need to see things differently. However we can help you this morning, please come while we stand and sing. <clears throat>